This is the Dice Tower Network, adding games to your wish list since 2005. The home of smart people, insightful board gaming commentary, and Luke Hector. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com. Hi everyone, welcome. We are back with the top 100 and I've only got 30 games to go. These are the creme to the creme of my gaming collection and I cannot wait to talk about these. We're getting better and better with these games and, well, to be fair, I think the last 70 were pretty good as well, but maybe you disagree, who knows. Certainly would love to hear some feedback on that, but I bet you're all just waiting for that inevitable top 10, aren't you? Well, patience, there's still two more episodes to go before we get to that stage. Today, we're going in segments of 10, as opposed to the 20 and 15 format I was doing before, and right now it's the 30 to 21 segment. So without further ado, let's crack on. Number 30, a new debut, and very new. In fact, this has only appeared on the list since late May, early June, and that's because I never got to play the original print of this until the UK Games Expo when the new print was brought out by Osprey Games. Escape from the Aliens in Outer Space is a hidden move slash deception game where humans are trying to hide from a group of aliens that are trying to gobble them up and race to the airlock pods, you know, the escape pods, in order to get off the ship. Everybody has a dry erase pad in front of them with a map of the general area. And the idea is is that each segment on there has coordinates and you take it in turns to decide where you're going to move, write it down on your little pad, and then depending on whether you went to a dangerous area or a clean area, you have to state whether you were, you know, you have to state certain commands or you have to draw cards which may force you to give false coordinates or real coordinates. And the idea is, is that the aliens are trying to figure out where the humans are so they can gobble them up and the humans are trying to outmaneuver the aliens and get to the pods. The great thing with this one is just the tension. You can trash talk as much as you like to try and figure out who's an alien and who's a human, although it doesn't usually take very long before you actually find out who is who, but it's the tension of trying to escape from the aliens in outer space, funny enough. Because here you've got very claustrophobic corridors, you've got very small areas sometimes to work with, and sometimes even when you've got a low player count, you've barely got any room at all. And you may find yourself having to dodge maybe more than one alien at a time as they're you know, floundering around the place trying to, you know, chomping on every hex they can find while you're like, uh, he's there, where's he going to go, where's he going to go, I'm going to go there. And you, honestly, the tension is, it's healthy tension, it's not like you're going to be incredibly stressed by the end of this, but it's just great fun to actually get the drop on some of the humans or to outwit the aliens. The best one I've had of this was at the UK Games Expo when I played this with Tom Vassell and Sam Healy, in fact, where 
I was chasing after Sam Healy for a while and he pulled a massive switcheroo on me, completely reverse direction, and I had no idea and just shot past him completely oblivious. So fair play and kudos to Sam for doing that to me. But eventually I was able to rejoin the rest of my Adians who were trying to find uh, Jay from Breacher18.com who was basically putting my two teammates to shame with their useless ability of trying to capture a human. I mean, fair play to them first game. But I was like, you know, seriously, are you actually gobbling up the human or are you chasing after Jonesy the cat because it seemed like that's what they were doing so I came along joined them for the ride and then eventually chomped down on Breacher 18 so you know I suppose many people have wanted to do that but it was a great fun experience and this one since then has been a great laugh to play whether it's with two players or eight players it can go anywhere from two to eight it's easy to teach you can include the special abilities if you like but even if you just have the base game with the basic cards that's all you need to make this one an absolute Absolute blast. Escape the aliens in outer space. Number 29 is also a new debut to the list from Days of Wonder earlier this year. Now, some people are going to think, oh my god, this is way too high on the list, but Believe me, as a gateway game, this has been such a success with getting new people into the hobby, and I still enjoy playing this game, whether it's the basic version or the advanced version. This one is Quadropolis. This is not exactly the most thematic city-building game that you're ever going to find, because obviously it's simplified and scaled down, but it's a very clever system which borrows off the Targi mechanic, where each person has a construction sorry there's a construction site that each person can grab tiles from in order to put into their city they use these architects numbered one to four which they put around the outside to point to whichever tile it is that they're going after the number of the architect says how many spaces within the board you move and obviously you place them on certain rows in order to hint where exactly they're moving when you take the tile off you have to put this pawn called the urbanist in its place and what it means is that other proponents cannot point directly at that urbanist is exactly the same as the robber from no it's the exact sorry I'll rephrase that it is the exact same thing as the targi mechanic where you're not allowed to point your targi at an opposing player's targi it's that similar deal but it works really well here because you can restrict other players from getting certain tiles by being quite clever with the ones you take But it's not just a case of simply, oh, well, I take a tile and I put it in my board. Your board has got numbers one to four along the sides and the top row. And depending what architect you use will dictate what spaces you're allowed to put the building in. So if you're trying to build up combos of parks with office buildings or harbors in a straight line, for example, you need to be careful which architect you use to build that particular piece. Each different building scores in a different way. There are many paths to victory. It is so simple to teach. You can teach this in about 10 minutes, if that, probably less. And you can get going and finish a game in probably, you know, less than half an hour. It's so smooth. The box insert is perfectly designed to literally go from round to round with ease and pack it away nice and neat. Components, being Days of Wonder, are stellar. And the advanced version of the game adds a couple of extra buildings to make things a little bit more complicated, as well as bring in a more updated board and global architects numbered one to five that anybody can pick from except they're in finite for each number and i like the advanced version i must admit it's probably my preferred way to play it but if people just want to play the basic version because they're new to the game then i am more than happy to really just enjoy this one for how sleek and smooth and well designed it is quadropolis 29 
Number 28 is not a new debut, in fact it was in my top 10 and now it has dropped 23 places to 28. Now that does not mean I don't like this game anymore, it's just simply a case that other games have now started to surpass it in terms of how much I enjoy it, and I must admit this one hasn't been played in a while. It is my most played game, but Lately, people just haven't been desperate to get it to the table, and as such, it's just come down the charts a bit in favour of games that are getting played more often. I still enjoy it, but would like to use some of the more uh, you know, improved roles that the expansion brings out. But using the base roles is still fine, I still really enjoy this, and that's One Night Ultimate Werewolf. It's still my favourite way to play Werewolf. I've tested the, well not had a full game, but tried the normal werewolf, and that's okay, but it's a bit long-winded. If you get eliminated, it's a bit, oh great, now i just got to sit and watch. But with one night, you get it done and dusted in five minutes, do the vote, see what happens, and laugh your head off during, before, and after, because it's just pretty easy to pick up, and it's so funny to watch everybody just change with their roles, roleplay it even, you know, lie through their back teeth as they try to negotiate with all the players, frantically accusing people of werewolves and troublemakers and all sorts, and when you throw in some of the more advanced roles, it just gets even more ridiculous. I've played this a ton. People have always wanted to try it, and then they've wanted to try it about another five or six times afterwards. It's a great party game, great when you've got a few drinks as well. It's just not seen as much play lately which is why it's dropped down the chart a bit still really enjoy it though it's in my top 30 after all come on this is like you know the 28th best game i've played so i can't hardly you know say much more praise one night ultimate werewolf 28 still going strong My number 27, falling 11 places, so still remaining fairly consistent, is also going along the same lines of the whole bluffing and lying thing. This is the first major game, I believe it was the first, to come from the Dice Tower Essentials line, which was Sheriff of Nottingham. Sheriff of Nottingham is a great, you could almost call it a gateway level game, I'm not certain I would call it that because lying is a bit tricky for some new players to get the hang of in games, but it's a fairly simple but very funny lying and bluffing game. You don't even have to lie in this game, you could tell the truth the whole time and still win. It is possible to do it if you're able to fool the opponents into thinking that you might be lying so that they call you out and then you have to collect their lovely little compensations as they apologise to profusely. But the amount of role-playing you can do in this game is just ridiculous. I mean, watching the Dice Tower play this live in their marathons is one of the funniest experiences I have ever seen in a live playthrough. You know, I think it's I think the only thing that surpassed it is them playing Robinson Crusoe live recently, but in their marathons, Sheriff of Nottingham is just so fun to watch as they roleplay it and get into the theme. Now, this is group dependent, so if they're not too comfortable with the whole bluffing and lying thing, it may slightly falter in that respect. But if you're willing to just immerse yourself, just go with it, enjoy it for what it is. It is a simple but hilariously funny line and bluffing game that deserves to get played. It is that good, definitely a Dice Tower Essential, definitely one that I would say should be in your collection if you have any likeness for bluffing games. Great fun. Sheriff of Nottingham, 27. Number 26 has only dropped three places, it might as well have stayed in its same place really. 
originally released by Asmadi Games and then reprinted by Yellow in a much more pretty format because the Asmadi game was very, shall we say, stark, I guess. It wasn't the best looking thing in the world, but the game itself didn't really change. It's still as entertaining as it always has been, and that is innovation. Now, I can already hear Sam and Z doing the dual vomit thing from a distance. Yep, I can hear them, and ooh, even outside. Blimey, that was long range. But I really love this one. I'm with Tom on this. Innovation is just a great tactical play. To, you know, I say two-player card game. I can play it with three or four, but to be honest, this is two-player is where it's at. It's a nice head-to-head game where you have got to think tactically on what cards you've got available, what cards your opponents are using, how you're going to defend yourself from his attacks, and how you're going to use your abilities to attack him. It's great. You can't strategize in this at all. So that's why some people like to call it completely random. But no, it's about reacting to what's on the table and reacting to what you've got compared to what he's got. He or she, sorry. And it's just great fun. Love it to bits. When you add the expansion in, Echoes of the Past, it gets even better. Although it does jump about 20,000 notches in terms of complexity when you're doing foreshadowing and all of those uh, echo effects. But it's great fun to sort of go, right, you know, I've got writing and I've got calendar text done. And then, oh yes, I'm also going to take this card, Toothbrush. You know, <laughs> where the echoes give you inventions and the normal base game gives you the text. It's quite funny when you combine them together and you have got something like writing, calendar, and toothbrush in front of you and you're using their abilities. It's an abstract game, pure and simple. It's not thematic in any way. It's just a great, fun, tactical card game. Innovation 26. Number 25, another new debut, but the last one for this segment. This one is, again, another line and bluffing game. you notice there's a lot of those in my top 30. Well, that's because I really like line and bluffing games and negotiation games as well. It's just a type of genre that I really like because it involves player interaction. I did this chart thing that you might have seen getting spammed around Facebook lately where you've got your profile as a gamer between social fun, conflict, strategy, and fantasy. Well, if you take a look at mine on my blog or on the board game group, then you will notice that I have a strong tendency towards social fun and fantasy because I like thematic games and I like to be immersed in the game and interact with the other players. And I don't just simply mean interact as in, you know, how was your day? How's the wife? You know, that kind of thing. I mean directly interact with the player within the game. So line and bluffing games are up my street. Anyway, I'm ranting on here. Back to the game. 25 is CS Files, otherwise also known as Deception Murder in Hong Kong. This is the deduction game where a group of investigators are trying to find out who the murderer in the group is. And everybody has got a selection of murder weapons in front of them as well as some clues left at the scene. The murderer will do, there will be a nighttime phase similar to the Resistance and One Night Werewolf where the murderer will pick a weapon and a clue and that's the hidden one for the game. Now, the one giving the clues is very much like the guy in the ghost in Mysterium. He cannot directly talk. He has to simply put these bullet tokens on these clue cards like a cause of death, the location, the motive, the condition of the, the deceased, that kind of thing. And using these clues, the rest of his team on the investigator side have to try and figure out who the murderer is and which weapon he used and what evidence was left at the scene. And obviously the murderer and his accomplice, if there is one in the game, is trying to sway everyone off by passing the blame onto someone else that has a legitimate story to back it up. It's great how these things just, you know, 
how everybody um, the best fun I've had actually I'll say was when I was teaching this to a group of 12 people like the full amount this game could go up to I think it goes up to 12 and I was the forensic scientist who is the person giving the clues and I obviously had played the game before and none of the other 11 people had and I just got to watch them I just sat there and cracked some popcorn and just sat there and listened to everybody come up with these reasons for how somebody could legitimately kill someone with one of these obscure weapons as well as clues left at the scene it sounds a little bit morbid when you put it that way but it's just it's it's light-hearted humor you know in the end the forensic scientist is the one who has the worst job because he's got to picture the murder itself in his head based on what the murderer has shown him during the nighttime phase and it's like okay um i may have issues you know when you come up with the story trust me i've come up with some weird stuff but it's great to hear everybody else's excuse for saying yeah you could totally do that with this yeah you could totally kill someone with a trash can i mean if you did this you know it's, it's great fun to listen to them and obviously you're there creasing as people start going off on tangents whilst the murderer is there sort of like twirling his hidden moustache shall we say thinking i've got away with it all But to add even more fun to it, you've got the Witness, who functions exactly like Merlin in the Resistance Avalon game. The Witness knows who the murderer and the accomplice are. Doesn't know which is which, though. But if the murderer and accomplice get caught, then they have one last chance to win the game by identifying the Witness. And if they do so, they win. It worked well in Avalon, it works even better here, because it's even got a thematic tie-in as to why you would have a Witness, and why disposing of the witness would allow the murderer to get off scot-free it thematically works and it didn't even need to be thematic it's you know it's a light-hearted bluffing game but i was really impressed on how they tied that in this one is one that most people probably haven't even heard of it's not the most easiest one to find and it probably hasn't been marketed that well but believe me it's humongous fun. It is insane fun if you are into these bluffing and deduction games. Trust me, you gotta give it a try. It doesn't take that long to play, about 45 minutes, you know, an hour tops, although probably 45 minutes is more accurate. Not that much out of your life. Give it a try. Trust me, you'll enjoy it. Deception, Murder in Hong Kong, number 25. The next few games you're going to notice have barely dropped in this chart. This one has only dropped three places. It was 21 last year, now it's 24, and we're in party game territory now. This one is one of my favourite, but not my favourite party game of all time. This one goes down well with anyone, though, because one of the games I hated in the past was Pictionary. I hated Pictionary, because in that one, you, you had fun drawing stuff. But I can't draw my way out of a paper bag. As Blackadder puts it, I think I've got the, the artistic talent of three colorblind hedgehogs in a bag. And I'm, you know, I'm not exactly proud of it, but you know, I sucked at art, what can I say? But in this one, it doesn't matter. Telestrations. Telestrations is basically the Chinese whisper game, but done with drawing. You have a clue card, and you don't even need the clue card, really. You could just make up your own word, and you will write down the word on this dry erase pad in front of you. You will then draw what's on that card. You'll then pass it to your left and then you'll get the pad from somebody else who has drawn the picture. You will then try and guess what that is and write the word down. You will then pass it to the left again and then you'll get another pad where you will have a picture and you've got to guess the word. Sorry, no, you would have a word and you've got to draw the picture. And basically it goes on in this fashion, alternating between all the players until you get your pad back. And then you don't even bother to score points. You just reveal what your starting word was and then look at the trail. 
And that is when the laughs just erupt. It's fun when you listen to people while drawing it, and it's fun to do the drawing anyway, but the hilarity of seeing how badly some of your original clue words just completely go out of sync, usually because of my rubbish drawing, I'll admit. My rubbish drawings do tend to send people a little bit off the trails, but oh well, that's the thing. It doesn't matter if you're not good at drawing, because yes, they have got rules for scoring, but I'm sorry, anybody who scores in Telestrations, you need to enjoy party games more. I'm sorry, you do not score in this game, it is not worth it. Just simply look at what's been drawn and laugh. That's all you need to do because then at least it doesn't give you a you know it doesn't make you feel bad for the fact that you can't draw. Because to be honest, if you can't draw, then scoring means that you're going to lose. So why bother the score? You want people like that to be comfortable with the fact that they can't draw and it doesn't matter, you know, because otherwise it just ruins it for them. Telestrations though is just hilarious. I do really enjoy how it turns out sometimes. I've had pictures put on Facebook of my drawings and other people's drawings, you know, and there are very few games where you can not angrily, but you know, in shout to somebody that is different that is so a blueberry muffin and have it actually mean something in context. It's great fun. Telestrations twenty four. Number 23 dropped 5 places from 18 last year, and this is a heavy game. And, you know, everybody's got their own opinion as to what light, medium, and heavy is, but come on, the amount of options you have in this game means that it is complex, and it is heavy. But it is so thematic, and it is so much fun. And that is Argent the Consortium. Argent the Consortium is basically Hogwarts the board game. It's set in an anime universe, but it is essentially a school of wizards. You are trying to be the best wizard in the school because the dean has recently gone missing and someone's got to take over the uni. A consortium of voters will determine which one of the players will be put as dean, but you don't know what they want. You'll know what one does because it's always face up, and then you will probably know one other at the start of the game, but that's it. You've got another, like, ten people that you just don't know what their conditions are. They might want the person with the most gold, the most intellect, the most wisdom, the most spells of a particular category, the most supporters of a particular category. There's all sorts of different conditions. And during the game, you'll be doing a kind of twist on the whole worker placement thing where you will place these wizards out each which have their own special ability so workers with special abilities sold and you will put them in various rooms do various effects collect spells collect items you know, collect special powers collect more mages screw over other players it's there's so much you can do in this game the variety is just insane when you put the expansion with it and let's face it you only need the expansion if you are playing this regularly because wow it adds even more variety it adds another school of magic it adds scenarios which change how things happen each round it adds more rooms it adds like a, an archmage staff that people can take control of it's just ridiculous how much variety this game has and i am a sucker for variety as you well know so this one pretty much screamed out to me theme variety and heaviness Okay, maybe not so much the heaviness, but I do like heavy games now and again, and this is one of them. Argent the Consortium is a fantastic worker placement slash take that, I guess. You know, heavy game with a huge theme and element of deduction as well. It's just solid. Now, I warn you, this is a big table hog. 
And I also warn you that this is not an easy game to get into. It will take you a game to learn how things work and how to get into it and what the sort of nuances within it are. But if you're willing to go through that, it's definitely worth it. Just accept that this is not a pick up and play game and you do not want to play this with people who are analysis paralysis prone or with people who are new to gamers. This is definitely a gamer's game, but it is so much fun. If you like anything I've mentioned here about wizards and magic spells and anime style theme and deduction, you're going to adore this one. 23 Argent the Consortium by Level 99 Games. Try it. Number 22, designed by the legend himself Antoine Bolzer, and has picked up numerous awards, including, bizarrely, an Innovation Award, which I'm not sure it entirely deserved, but hey. But it is certainly one of the best drafting games in existence, despite being a fairly dry game overall. Yeah, you're kind of building a civilization, but it never really feels like it compared to some of the uh, more mainstream types. Of course, by now, you know I'm talking about Seven Wonders. Down nine places from 13, it's still going strong. Now, the main reason it's dropped a few places is, one, because of a lot of new debuts, and partially because, even though I'd still enjoy playing this with the base game, I very much more enjoy it with expansions. Most of the time, it's getting played as a base game because we're always teaching new people, but Leaders is great fun. Cities is great fun, and I really like the stuff in the new Babel expansion. The problem is, it's hard to get the Babel expansion played with you know, actual veteran players, let alone with new players. I would never throw a new player into Babel, it's just not fair on them. But it means I really want to play it more often with that expansion, and I do enjoy it more when you've got more complexity to the game. The base game is still fine though, and I will still play it, but if there were no expansions, I think Seven Wonders would be a lot lower down this chart. With those expansions though, it's still a solid game and I really enjoy playing this one. The fact that it is actually possible to play this with seven people who know what they're doing, base game only, and play it in half an hour. Kid you not, I've done that at a UK Games Expo before. Providing everybody knows what they're doing, you can run through this quick. It just needs a good moderator. Because I am getting sick and tired of playing drafting games where somebody just waltzes on the head or doesn't moderate it and suddenly everybody goes out of sync. Seriously, how hard can it be to just be patient and wait for everyone to choose a card? It's not difficult. Alright, rant over. But... I'm getting back to getting off tra- track here. Seven Wonders is still a fantastic drafting game. Really adore it. Chances are you've already played it by now because let's face it, if you haven't got it, somebody you know has and has probably already introduced it to you by now. And if you've not played it, then I'm pretty sure you'll find it easy to either find a copy to buy or even just to find somebody at your gaming group who has it and is willing to teach you. Because it's not the most difficult drafting game to get hold of. I certainly won't call it a gateway game, but it's certainly not as tricky base game only as it might be thought. Just make certain you're comfortable with a lot of iconography. Seven Wonders 22 Classic.
And finally today we are going on to one of my favourite Euros of all time. This one I have been touting the praises for ever since I managed to luckily acquire a second-hand copy of it. Now granted, the main reason I grabbed a second-hand copy of it is because the Dice Tower touted the praises of this, all three of them, on several of their top ten lists. This one is out of print and will probably never come back into print, which is sad days. It really should, because I think if it came out now, it would still get a lot of buzz. People may call it dated, I don't know what they're on about. I think the mechanics in this are still fresh, and I would like to see the drawing out of the bag mechanic with this to be used in other games. I'm talking about the Pillars of the Earth. This one is one of the most beautiful looking games I have ever seen. Now, specifically, I mean the board. It uses cubes and, you know, the construction of the church is it's all right you know you get these 3d pieces which are really cool but oh my god michael menzel is one of the best if not the best board game artist there is out there his boards are just sublime to look at and the pillars of the earth is my favorite he's ever done just look at the board if you go to my facebook portsmouth on board group you will see i use pillars of the earth for the picture on the weekly meetups and oh my god this game, when you get that board, combine it with Stonemeyer's treasure chest tokens, the ones that are the upgraded resin resources. Oh, it really is just... It's its pornographic art. That's all it is. It's basically just art porn. It's so beautiful to look at. You just can't stop staring at the board while you're actually trying to play this game. But the game itself is great fun as well because, yes, you have worker placement, Okay, that's nothing new. But what really makes this is the fact that not only are the rules really easy to learn and really smooth, it flows nicely, but the drawing out of the bag. When you draw your workers out of the bag, you draw them one at a time, and depending on how early you draw them is how much it costs you in gold to put them out. So you might want a space really desperately. You need to get there first. And yay, your meeple comes out and you can place it down. But it's going to cost you seven gold to do it. That's a lot of money. And you might draw out of the bag and suddenly your meeple doesn't come out until like six others have hit the board and the spaces might not be available anymore. But if it draws out early, do you play it or do you leave it there and hope that the space is still there when you get back? And then as more meeples get drawn out, it's like, oh, but there's enough money. Yeah, I'll do it. It makes you think the choices you make as each meeple is drawn out is what makes this game because if somebody else gets drawn out and they take a space you want you've got to think of another plan but if you get drawn out you've got to consider whether you were desperate enough to get that space that it's worth the money to do so because if you run out of money in this game you're going to struggle in later rounds it works so smoothly the rules are very simple to learn it's just a brilliant one of the best if not the best let me just check actually no, 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 it's not the best, but it is one of the best classic worker placement games. This one probably put it on the map for a lot of people in those days, but certainly I am no regrets about picking out a slightly more expensive second-hand copy, and believe me, if somebody was able to get me the expansion to this game, I would adore it. Unfortunately, getting the expansion by normal means is basically an impossibility at this point. So, rounding off this segment of the Top 121, The Pillars of the Earth.
And that's that, two more to go. 20 more fantastic games. We are just getting to games that are better and better as time goes on. And sooner or later, you will get your wish. We will hit my top 10, which I'm sure most of you have been dying to know for a long time. Or if not, you're just curious. Whatever. As long as you actually listen to it and, you know, give some feedback. I'd love to hear what your top 10s are. I'd like to hear what you disagree with in my top 30 games. You know, do you think that this game shouldn't be in the list? Or do you think it should be higher or lower? Tell me. Catch me on Twitter. I'd love to talk about it more. So, that's it from me. See you in part 6 of the Top 100. You're listening to the Dice Tower Network. If you like this show, you might like The Game Pit or the Happy Mitten Podcast. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.